Welcome to Social Work Stories, a podcast exploring social work practice through stories and critical reflection. This podcast is recorded on Aboriginal country, lands which were never ceded. We acknowledge the traditional custodians and cultural knowledge holders of these lands and pay our respects to Aboriginal elders past, present, and emerging. We offer a warm welcome to any Indigenous listeners who are part of our podcast community around the world. If you have thoughts or feedback for our team, or just want to find our whole back catalog of episodes, check out our website, socialworkstories.com. But for now, on with the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Social Work Stories podcast. I'm Mim Fox, and I'm here with Liz Murphy. Hello, Mim. Liz, good to see you. And here we are, back. Uh, I know, for part three. Can't wait. Part three, everybody, this is, if you haven't listened to the last two episodes of the Social Work Stories podcast that focused on the amazing SEED program yep. in the Illawarra Shoalhaven Local Health District in New South Wales, then you've got to go back. You can't start here. You can't start here. So come on, just press stop right now and go back to episode one, to and, part one. And meet us back here. Meet us back here, absolutely. But like... You've missed a lot because we talked, Liz, part one, we introduced everyone to the context in which this program occurred, the SEED program, right? Yes. We talked about the bushfires that happened at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, down on the south coast, a little country town, Milton Ulladulla Hospital, right? Tiny little, you know, hospital that actually is servicing an amazing amount of people. And we talked about, you know, all the different players. We talked about Stuart and Padmini and Gail and Ruth, right? We met all the characters that actually live down there in this area and were fundamental in actually making this program happen. And, you know, what an amazing experience, Liz, right? And then in part two... We heard about all the various programs that were grown from the roots up. So That's this is right. staff-driven, beautiful community development work. And now we're going to focus on the leaders. Yeah, well, now now we're going to talk about the transformation. I, I just want to take us back for a minute to part one. Do you remember in part one, Padmini talking about the theoretical base yes. of SEED, right? She was talking about the values but she was also talking about the theory base. Do you remember that? I do. Trauma growth. Yeah, post-traumatic growth. And participatory action model. That's right. That's right. So she she actually went in there, met with everyone, found out what they needed, found out what the potential was, and then – but always with that eye on the fact that actually there was the potential for post-traumatic growth, right, that actually we can come through this. Okay, like such a positive approach and theory base to come from, right? And I think this is the episode, Liz, where we really see that play out. This is the episode where we hear from the leaders about the impact on them. We hear from the healthcare professionals about the impact on their everyday work. And we start to think about like, well, if we're going to have a program that's sustainable into the future, what might we actually need? Yeah. And what they're describing is quite a different paradigm. 
So it's exciting, this one. It's a really exciting episode and great place to finish up on. So before we kick off, let's hear from Michelle about what was actually like down there at the time of the bushfires on the south coast. The acronym for SEED stands for Stability, Encompassing, Endurance and Determination. And for us, the SEED program was the baby uh, of our organisation after the trauma of the bushfires on the south coast, 2019-2020, which seems a lifetime ago now. So during those times, I was working as a registered nurse in a small rural hospital and it was a very different world. The sky was filled with ash every day. We were driving to work and ash was just raining on our cars. The sky was red, fiery, glowing, you know, apocalyptic almost. You couldn't help but pull up, pull up to work and feel anxiety before you even entered the doors. So dealing with that every day, as well as worrying about your own home and your own family, was very taxing and draining on all of us. And in this time, the roads were cut off. There was um, police with the roads cut off because burning trees had fallen over the highway, which left us extremely isolated. We had no communication, no mobile phone reception, no landlines. Um, and we had staff that were working at our local hospital that were commuting from an hour or 45 minutes away that were stuck at the hospital, no clothes, no communication with their family, didn't know if their husbands, their wives or their children had made it to evacuation centres. So added to that, an already stressful environment in a crisis, a hospital, where you're caring for vulnerable people. It was very, very difficult. We were exhausted. We were managing the emotions. There was one particular nurse I remember who was most upset because we had palliative patients and distressed family members that couldn't get through the highway to be with those people when they were dying and we couldn't contact them when they were dying. That was a huge emotional responsibility uh, for us to feel like we had to fill that gap and try and make that the best it could be in that horrible situation. So being a small rural hospital, our resources were limited. Uh, we ended up having an overflow of patients from the ED set up into a communal lounge room that were on oxygen. So we put them in a communal lounge room so that they could actually be observed by nurses, but they were not as acute to need an ED bed when the ED beds were, were sorely needed by other people, but they were not well enough to go home either. So there were nurses and there were health and security assistants that did double shifts, that slept on site. And there was staff members that couldn't get to work because the highway was closed. So that was sort of placing pressure on the people that were here to, to do that as well, because we had to keep the hospital running. Mim, you know I've been working in health for 30 plus years. Yeah, I know. You know I'm completely institutionalised. <laughs> yeah. So right. I come from a place of really understanding health culture in New South Wales, right? Mm, yeah. And 
leadership has been a focus for at least the last decade. You know, there's leadership programs all over the place. They love health. a good program in health. Oh, we love a good program. Yeah. We love a good program. We love a good leadership program. Yeah. And I've also noticed over those years of being in health, it's amazing how many MBAs people have in leadership now. That's so true. I would. I think there's a PhD in this. Yeah. The ruination of the world and the introduction of an MBA. <laughs> no, truly. Truly. Yeah. So, but really, why I'm rabbiting on about this is what we're going to listen to is a different paradigm mm. about leadership. And we're going to see, and I think there are a number of leaders here whose personal journey becomes a metaphor of their shift in their approach to leadership. And it's countercultural what they're talking about. And this is why, for me, this episode is a really exciting one because this is different leadership to what I've seen and heard about in health. It's actually a different story being told, isn't it? Love it. Let's hear from Stuart. Remember Stuart? I, Director of Nursing. Yes. In charge of Milton Ulladulla Hospital, right? So, like, absolutely in that leadership position. And then we're going to hear from Danny, who's a nursing unit manager as well. So, interesting, really interesting perspective. So my leadership prior to the uh, the Carolyn fire was, um, I think, somewhat of a standard style of leadership for health. Uh, I you know I believed I provided a um, an open forum opportunity. I believed I connected with staff and I was um, open to change and open to ways of working that were different to what I'd previously experienced. I believe that I was um, a good listener and I believe that I had compassion and care at the centre of the way I worked as a leader. Um, however, the fire has actually taken me to a place where I would challenge each and every one of those things that I just said. I don't believe that I had care and compassion uh, at the centre of my management and my leadership style. I think. I was very task orientated and focused on outcomes and achievements. And they were KPIs of the sort. They were the things that we record in reports and we, um, we benchmark against. And they were the things that often as leaders and managers we're, we're, we're tested against, we're challenged against. And uh, not necessarily is any of that ever about the person. And um, I think that after the Carolina fire, I realized that my role was to care for the staff and to care for the community in a way that I hadn't done before. The, uh, the challenge for a leader is that we often determine what works for us and we stay with that because we've got evidence that suggests that it worked last time. After the fire, there was not, there was not a model that I could lean upon that was going to work for me. When you've got a, a group of people as a leader, you often have the ability to adapt and move to support the different staff as they require that support. But when you've got a group that are so diverse and are experiencing things in such an extreme way, they might have a common story, but the way they're experiencing it is their own individual uh, experience. That, that means that you've got to be adaptable to the, the unknown. You've got to be adaptable to being prepared to to go out on that limb, to, 
to be in a, what we would consider as, as managers in the unsafe space of not knowing. Uh, so my leadership changes were curious and I've held on to them um, somewhat tightly now because I recognise that whilst I thought I was doing a fairly good job before this, I think that it's clear that as leaders we need to evolve consistently and I reflect now and I wonder how good a job I was really doing as a leader prior to the fires. So I am very clear that one of the first actions I had to do was model the way. And I was under great observational scrutiny for what I said, how I said it, how I reacted, how I held myself. And there was, a, um, there was an awareness that I'd been through my own experience. But um, for the staff, they were very much looking to me to be the leader, not to um, dwell or to be a participant as one that had experienced the fires in the way that I had. So I decided that if I was going to talk about well-being, if I was going to be focused on the staff's uh, psychological health, if I was going to be living my own experience, I needed to actually model the way. Because I am a critical care nurse by background and it's exactly what I do. I put others first and try and prioritise them over my own needs. Um, to the point where I didn't acknowledge or communicate with my team how the fires had affected me and what I had gone through with the fires in a personal front. I tried to put what I had gone through to the back burner so that they could talk about what they had gone through. It wasn't until I attended wellness warrior training myself that I was able to then speak forward and put forward to the group how it had been a troubling time for me as a person and not just as a manager with fighting the fires and having a husband who was a bushfire volunteer out fighting the fires and all of that stress and the lack of communication that we could have I wasn't aware by withholding from my team what I'd gone through personally actually didn't allow them to connect with me so by having the wellness warrior training and having a conversation with my team I was able to actually start putting forward to them that it wasn't them alone it was us as a team that had managed to get through the bushfires and we've started to see that with connecting personally and in a hum humane way that by telling our stories they were it was giving us a purpose it was giving us a shared lived experience that we could then go forward and, and move forward together in how we could process and grieve and, and then look to the future of how we could continue to do well for our community and provide well for our community. I really think, Liz, that being a leader in a crisis like the bushfires would be so incredibly hard, right? Mm. Like, you know, you're bringing with you your understanding of leadership that you probably haven't even verbalised. It's just a part of how you work in the environment. And now you're faced with this crisis and you kind of have to rebuild after that crisis, right? And, you know, I think that's one of the gifts of, that Seed gave was the tools of how to rebuild yourself, how to rebuild yourself in your identity, your personal identity, your professional identity – and that was at all levels within the hospital, right? 
Well, I think for me, Danny's story really highlighted the the old paradigm of I have my work self, I have my personal self, but bring a disaster like a fire onto a community, a lot of that is blurred. Mm. But it was through that connection point that she made with the rest of her staff that shared humanity of the experience or the lived experience, as she calls it, that actually changed her relationship both with her staff but within herself in, in how she led, how she, I would imagine now, runs her, her emergency department. Yeah, I think it's really easy in um, a big healthcare system for the workers to become numbers in a way, to become just part of the fabric of the organisation and to stop being individuals with individual experiences every single day. And I love what Danny said about shared humanity. I think that's exactly the essence of SEED is that, yes, we're all individuals. Yes, we've all had our own experiences. Let's acknowledge that. Let's respect that. And now let's come together to build and regrow. You know, it's not just the leaders, Liz, that were impacted in this way, right? Like it was every single level of people in the hospital, in this small little hospital, everybody had an impact. So let's hear from Gail. You remember Gail? I do. Part one of our episode Gail series. Gail who gave the money for the ice yep. for those two blokes. That's yes. Gail. That's Gail. There was Gail there. Let's hear from Mel. We haven't heard from Mel yet and Mel was a really interesting character in this story as well. Absolutely. And Ruth again. Ruth who had her burnout story and was the project officer through SEED. So let's hear from them about the impact of them in the healthcare system as professionals. And the executive team decided that if you don't participate, you're not going to get your staff to participate. So I am the admin team leader. I decided to go to the meetings just to see what it was about. When I went, they did like meditation. They gave you opportunities to talk about your stories, ask what you want, see if anybody could help you. This went on for months every Wednesday between one and two. It was a great time for people to just get away from their desk, the work that they were doing, and just listen to other people's stories and to see if you could help other people. It was a great time for me because being the team leader, you sort of had to keep up this front that everything was fine, where I'd known people who'd lost homes and it affected me too. So I think the organisation really did a great job for just our small hospital. The SEED program changed my life. It made me stop and look at who I am, what coping strategies I need to be a good clinician. The SEED program helped me realise I needed tools in my life to be able to give good care to patients, but also to support my colleagues and to know how that looks like in the way of support that's important to them. Um, the SEED program was came to us at a time where I felt that I had a lot of responsibility being as in charge of hospital at Milton, a rural hospital, during the bushfires. And I wasn't aware that I needed these tools to help me better cope with situations that, like this one, this, this, this bushfire, that I wasn't prepared. I mean, we get taught about all the different codes and we're taught about... Um, how to escalate, but we're not taught how to know ourselves and understand what we need 
when times of trouble come in a sense that um, I put on masks to cope during the bushfires as an in charge in a rural hospital. But what I didn't realise is that when I went home, um, the cracks of not coping and the stress from that started to show in the home. My loved ones copped it and they did because, you know, you love them so much. You do things that you wouldn't normally do at work. You're so professional and the cracks show it at home. The seed program, I believe, is a necessity to all clinicians. I believe it should be taught at uni as a module to doctors, to nurses, to MDT multidisciplinary teams because I think how can you give to others, patients, colleagues, if you don't understand yourself? You need to understand what it is that you need to build resilience for you and to know and feel safe to be able to express that. Um, The SEED program came at a time that I had a lot of responsibility and I absolutely didn't realise the responsibility to myself was the first and foremost important thing. December, come back to work, there's got to be a big change. (laughs) Come end of January, um, there's seed, I'm reborn, I guess, (laughs) into the healthcare system. Um, And throughout my project officer role, I was very, very fortunate um, in that throughout that time, I was um, professionally mentored by an incredible lady by the name of Padmini Pai, um, who has given me so much opportunity um, for new roles and she helped me to identify what my strengths are and what my skills are and how they can be translated to other roles within the healthcare. So, you know, if one day I can't do my clinical work anymore because it's not the right thing for me, then I do have inherent strengths and skills that can be transferable to another role that is of equal value. And for me, that gives me hope that I can work out my days in healthcare. I don't have to leave the healthcare system. Um, You know, I've seen staff along the way who have become burnt out in their clinical role and quietly just leave. And they, they don't come back to healthcare where if they had have had a mentor or a wellbeing coach, then perhaps um, a new opportunity within healthcare might've been identified for them. Burnout doesn't have to equal leave healthcare. You know, burnout can just mean, well, where, how can we support you to look at your strengths and your skills and see how we might be able to utilise them in another setting um, so that we keep good people in our healthcare system. We, it's, you know, we lose good healthcare workers because we can't support them in their workplace. So it's not a hard thing. It's actually quite simple. The formula is quite simple. You know, there's kindness, there's compassion, there's support. It's a pretty simple formula. And um, I think, you know, particularly during this time of COVID, it's become vital that we care for healthcare workers if we want the healthcare workers to continue to care for our community. You know what this all tells me, Liz? What? It doesn't matter what discipline you're from. It doesn't matter what role you have in the healthcare system. When trauma comes, when crisis hits, we all react the same. And if you've got a program like SEED and if it's going to work, it's going to have to be able to speak to everyone, right? Good point. Like as much as I've loved hearing 
people from different disciplines talk about things like holding space and, you know, react to each other as social workers in ways that we know is second nature. At the end of the day, if you are actually going to help people get through a trauma and a crisis and you're going to embed the seeds of post-traumatic growth, then it has to speak to everyone. Whatever the activities are, they have to. And look, I, unlike you, I, I haven't met everyone that was involved in it, but uh, the few people that I have, it seems like they do represent the various layers in, in, a, in a hospital, but it did engage people in, in really profound ways. And I think what we're going to hear now is a variety of those stories that really are evident, yeah. the evidence of that. Yeah, not just the evidence, but like... How do you sustain it, Liz? Oh, we'll get to that. How do we keep going into the future? And I'm really excited to hear what the staff of Milton Ulladulla Hospital think about that question. What do they think that they need going into the future and that anybody else taking on this program or a program of this sort might need themselves, right? Let's hear from them from their words. Yeah. Seed was designed to get us through hard times but it's had an unintentional effect on improving the work culture at Milton Ulladulla Hospital remarkably. And it inspires me to believe that positive changes can influence nursing as a profession as well. It's helped me to validate my own worth as a nurse and as a leader to demonstrate kindness. And it's helped me to remain flexible and face new challenges. And you know, that's more important than ever with the current COVID pandemic that has really overshadowed the bushfires now and made that look pale and insignificant to the challenges we face in healthcare at the moment. And the stress that's on our community as well, and the increased workload to the healthcare system. So sometimes we need to just stop doing the whole groundhog thing all over and over again. We need to stop and value our workers as unique people We need to give people an opportunity to grow and shine. Seed for me me, is more than just self-reflection and self-regulation. It's a method that we can improve the quality of care for patients and families, as well as staff members. It's a way to increase resilience, improve clinical problem solving and develop greater compassion for other people. This has further implications yet to be decided. You know, where does it go? Does it improve staff retention in small rural hospitals? Does a better work environment lead to better job satisfaction? Additionally, SEED holds great promise to workplaces on an organisational level. It's an accessible platform for workers on the ground to immediately feed back to managers, to, to innovate new ideas and problem solving. Getting together and having a voice and self-reflecting on problems, it helps us to see new ways of being, which can only be a benefit if something's not already working. This can become empowering. It can make better teamwork and promotes an efficient use of resources, which we all know is limited, especially with the pandemic. In demonstrating how much you value your co-workers and give them the gift of increased respect, 
you raise their confidence and their ability to have their own autonomy. And that can only mean good things for the healthcare system in the years to come. True change happens when three simple factors are in place. When people have an opportunity to influence the change, when people can be part of the change, and when people value change. And I think these three ingredients were there in the SEED program that has actually led to the success of SEED in Milton and beyond. And some of the main areas that were very helpful were when new staff start to the organisation and um, we ask consent um, and say to a new staff member, would you like to have the opportunity to have someone come and check in with you at, um, you know, within the first week and then at one month and then at three months. And that was really quite nice because they're not asking from a truly clinical perspective. They're just saying, how are you going? How are you fitting in with the team? And the pers the people who actually did that as well as wellness warriors um, took those roles, they quite enjoyed the opportunity to um, extend a welcome to new staff and that was really nice. Because that's the idea of SEED is that it's an encompassing wellness model to help people progress and be the best they can be, which then allows us to give more. So that was, that was something that we're trying to continue to do in, in growing seed and growing wellness at Milton and, and looking towards the future of our um, caring model for not just staff, patients, relatives, it's everybody. So I, look, I, it's been an interesting social experiment. I would certainly say that from the outside for someone to, to sit on the outside. And I, and I sort of reflected a little bit of why that is. And I think that it, when you start to talk about wellness and these types of things, you really are pushing past that sort of from a work environment into a, person, a person's personal way of doing life. I don't know what else to say. It was a nightmare and it went on for months and months and months. But I think we've come out on the other side the hospital is starting to get back to where it was before. We've just had like COVID hit now and like we've been going through that for over a year. So we went from bushfires to floods to COVID and we're still standing. And it is a great place to come and visit. And the hospital is just fantastic. You know, Mim, one of the things that I keep on wondering about is... Do you have to have a disaster for something as, I guess, something as profound as seed to occur? Like, would it have happened without the fires? Yeah, I, I hear your question, Liz. I, I know what you mean. In some ways, part of my instinct says no. Yeah. But I think that's because of the ingredient that was organisational support. For me, organisations don't invest and don't, from historically, organisations don't invest and don't um, put the resources and time in if there's not an impetus, right? right. So, so it's, not like, it's not like suddenly in 2019, 2020, over that summer period, suddenly you had staff who weren't well, who weren't coping. No, but... But so we have a few planets in alignment, though. Yes. What you're talking about is, yes, there was a key event. Yeah. The fires. 
But in support of that was an organisational response that was far deeper than what we might have seen in other disasters. Or in other situations ever, Liz. Right. So if ever there was a key time to see if this is transferable, we are in the middle of a pandemic. That's it. Is this a model that is transferable? So I, that's a really interesting question. I think um, the, the whole world, we're having a global crisis, right? So this is the time to try new ways and new ideas. And, you know, since, um, since the bushfires and we moved into the pandemic, seed has been picked up at other locations, at other hospitals, at other areas. And it's now, you know, being trialled in different ways and is going to continue to be. And I guess what's really fascinating in that is how impactful can it be in the longer term, right? Like, it's one thing to say, I went through Wellness Warriors, it changed me in this way, here's how I work now. But are you still sustaining that in a year? In two years, in five years, and if you are sustaining it still, what are the ingredients that are helping you to do that? Is it because the culture shift was able to continue? Is it because the organisation continued to invest? Is it because you learnt stuff about yourself and your strengths and your coping that you've been able to capitalise on? or using your professional life in different ways? Do you know what I mean? That's mm. what I'm saying, that the the crisis is just one kickoff component, but there are all these other pieces to the puzzle. And so the next step will be to see how is seed or, or a program, because it can't be exactly like seed, can it, right? So because the, the beauty of seed was it was a, as a response to what the staff said they were needing. Now, that's exactly right, Liz. That's a really key point that actually if you brought seed to another environment, which has happened and they're looking at the key message from that is it has to be responsive to the staff at that place, in that context, in that time. So some of those activities that happened at Milton Ulladulla aren't going to be relevant for no. other staffing groups. The New Year's Eve party was specifically important for that group of people, Right. That's just one example. So I, I'm really curious about what it looked like in those other organisations that are now experimenting with it because it's got, I guess, from the most senior person in our local health district has supported it. Yeah. And I think now what, what the challenge will be is, is it transferable? Is it going to work? Yes, it's starting up or it's, or it's playing out in other areas. Like I think about... The difference between the hospital that I sit in versus the Milton Ulladulla approach is the size. Like that's what I'm really curious about. Do you start in smaller departments? Do you start in clinical wards? But it has to be – you have to have buy-in, right? Yeah. And I have noted in COVID there is a different – a lot of staff are relating differently to each other. Yeah, I think so too. I think there's definitely there's definitely been a shift that's happened and I I think this comes back to, you know, what actually happens, where do we go forward with this? How do we, um, you know, I was thinking about Michael and I was thinking about how he said this is an interesting social experiment, right? And some, I have to say, in the last 18 months or so, 
it's felt like the world is in the middle of an interesting social experiment, right? So this is the time. This is the time to get creative. This is the time to start to relate to each other differently and to instead of getting up every day and just surviving the really difficult work that we're all doing, let's think about what we need to actually keep going and to maximise and to thrive. So if I was a social worker, like I need to share with you that Mm. I was also one of the people that were asked to go down to Milton Alladulla. Ah, right. And I said absolutely, like I I wouldn't know where to begin. Yeah. And I'm also not part of that community. But let's just imagine now that we are – being that person, we're being dropped in there. What are the? I mean, what are the, the take-home messages that Padmini and that and the Milton Aladala staff have taught us? So it's been a community development approach. It's been from both the ground up. So yeah. it's been um, informed by the people who work in Milton Hospital. But as you say, Mim, it's been supported from the most senior levels. It was given resources and it was given attention um, from the most senior person in that LHD. So that's got to actually count for something too. Yeah, I think it's taught us something as well about that idea of shared humanity and that idea of being an individual within a system and being able to come together as a united force as well. That actually coming together doesn't mean losing who the individuals are and the needs that they have, and the reality for them every day. It means acknowledging that, respecting that, holding space for that, right? And then coming together to support and grow into the future. So don't rush to... Don't rush. And, you know, know, one of the things I hate more than anything, Liz, is when an organisation does an empty self-care statement. So, you know, we talked um, in this three-part episodes um, about... Uh, what happens when you're given a phone number to call for support, right, and you don't know that person on the other end of the line. I hate it when when organisations do things like say, you know, go and turn your computer off for a day, go and sit by the beach, right? They've done nothing about your workload, by the way, but they've told you to turn the computer off, right? You know, for me, self-care needs to actually be tailored to the individual It needs to respond to the person's needs as they say that they have them. And it needs to be something that's workable within the confines of your job. Okay? So giving people coffee vouchers so that they can go and have coffee with someone else in work time and that coffee's paid for is only good if someone's covering your work while you're there. Having wellness sessions where people are doing massages or yoga or whatever it is they're going to do only works if you haven't now given someone double the work because you've gone and attended it. And that's the issue is that often someone's wellness sacrifices the wellness of someone else. And that's why I really do believe that if the organisation doesn't provide a strong structure around a program like this and doesn't resource it and doesn't really think through the support for staff around it, it has an unintended consequence that actually doesn't speak properly to the needs of the staff. The other thing that struck me, what you just said, Mim, and it also needs to have leaders who have been transformed themselves and who are willing to take risks, who are brave enough to say, 
look, I don't know. This is yeah. I, this is new territory for me too, but let's get through it together. And I'm going to listen to you because together we'll get through this. I mean, kind of that doesn't sound so radical, but it sure is. Oh, that vulnerability in a leader is immense, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and for that to be the, and to also for that leader to be sitting in those groups, to be listening to the impact, because sometimes that 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 disconnect between you know, what's actually happening with my staff um, and the impact of their work is often there. Yeah. But these are leaders who have actually taken the time to listen and experience the impact, even shared their own. And so there's a connection there that's quite deep and real that you often don't see. And I'd like to think, in my fantasy, I'd like to think that what's happened at Milton is a culture change that's sustainable for all the reasons that we've talked about, but that we can go back there, say this time next year, and that new staff have been brought on board and they're also being part of it whilst they, you know, may not have been through the trauma, that they're still now part of a culture that's quite different to how it was, say, many, you know, years ago. God, you know, I would love that. And I, and I have heard people say that, that they've gone to see, gone to Milton Ulladulla Hospital and that they've had a different experience that they've had at other hospitals. Like, like we've spoken about, you know, hashtag kindness works here does seem to have been a realised a realised hashtag, which is amazing. And I, I really do hope, Liz, that going into the future, this is not just be able to be sustained for Milton Ulladulla Hospital, but actually throughout the local health district and then as an example to others as well. Such an impressive program, Liz. Oh, and the other thing I feel really moved by is, again, people sharing their stories with us. Oh, yeah. Because, again, you and I, Justin, social workers, social work students are really going to learn from their stories of, you know, their experience of trauma and transformation as a result. And I say a heartfelt thank you to all the people that have shared their stories with us because it they have moved me um, and I've learned a great deal from them. So thank you. I couldn't agree more, Liz. And on that note, see you later, everyone. Take care. We know this has been a bit of a hard-going three-part episode, but we appreciated you sticking with us. And we'll be back with our normal releases from December on. So take care, everyone. Bye for now. Thanks in the production of this episode goes to the Illawarra Shoalhaven Local Health District and the staff at Milton Oladola Hospital and to the University of Wollongong. This episode of Social Work Stories has been funded by the University of Wollongong Community Engagement Grant and the National Health and Medical Research Council. We create this podcast because we're passionate about building the global social work community and strengthening our practice no matter the context. All of the practice stories we share are de-identified to protect and respect the people involved. If you want to help us grow the podcast tribe and continue the work we do, we would love it if you can subscribe or follow the podcast in your favorite podcast app. That way, you'll be sure to get every episode as soon as it's released. While you're in your podcast app, we would love it if you can leave us a five-star rating and a review. It would mean so much to us. You can connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, where you can share our posts with your friends to help spread the word. And you can always find us at our home on the web, socialworkstories.com. 
The Social Work Stories podcast is made by Justin Stesch, Liz Murphy, and Dr. Mim Fox. Thanks so much for listening.